Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Baj, my friend. So nice hey. to meet you. So we have never talked before, right? I mean, besides email. No. Yeah. So yeah, no, a... I got your email um, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Cool. So this is the first time I'm getting to meet you, and I've seen your work and been a fan of this. And then um, then I encountered your anatomy, and I was like, teach, please. <laughs> and, and you said, I'm still a student. <laughs> uh, someday, maybe. I'm still learning from, from people. So I, I get think it. I'll wait until I more comfortable and then maybe in the future i'll consider it <laughs> i get it i get it totally so tell me what um uh, for those who don't know you what do you do okay so i am the lead character artist over at creative assembly on the total War warhammer franchise great and what does creative assembly do so we predominantly do historical games. Um, we've always been known for the Total War franchise, but we uh, also do like the, well, we did the Alien Isolation game as well, mm -hmm. and recently Halo Wars 2. Yeah. But our main kind of flagship franchises are the historical Total War games, and more recently we've started looking at the fantasy side with the Warhammer projects. All right, and are you guys hiring? <laughs> we're always hiring. I think we're looking for um, a couple of artists over on the console team. So, yeah, if you want to go to the website, you can check that out. Great. No what, do you, if you think you're ready. what do you look for when um, from people that you're hiring? And, um, and I mean you spe specifically, if you have any environment in there, because, you know, I mean HR and I'm sure there's a million people that are involved in that. And I'm not asking you to speak for the company. I just mean like from your experience, you know, what what helps? What, what's a good um, thing for somebody to do? Or be interesting work. I think I get, I get a lot of I think I get a lot of portfolios where it's just sculpting work only which um is only 50 percent of the job yep. like I, I need to see you do your sculpts and i need to see your low poly work your game work and your texture work yeah. so that that is kind of a no-no uh, starting that off it's like if you're going to apply for a character art job you need to show that you can do the whole process because we'd expect you to do the whole process here yeah does it um, make sense um that it's important for you to be more than a digital sculptor you got to be a character artist. That's the way I like to explain it. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if you can only do 50% of the job, yep. then we can't hire you because we need someone to go from start to finish and take on that whole process. Because all of our character artists will start off with you know, a basic concept, well, a good concept, yeah. and then work that through all the way to the final stage of the character. Totally. And what else does somebody need? Because I know the next question that everybody, or the next thing people assume is, you know, I got to, know everything about anatomy so what else do they really need um it's it's not about like perfection in anatomy i don't think that anyone ever truly reaches perfection mm. i think obviously good anatomy for a character artist understanding anatomy and, and showing a willingness to, to learn more and take on more but for me it's more interesting work um you see a lot of repeat work you see a lot of repeat fantasy work and it, mm -hmm. it's, it can be very samey and when yeah. you're looking at two or three portfolios and the work looks the same, I want to see something that really stands out. That's great. That's a great point. I love that interesting work because, you know, yes. you're right. Like we see this even with the environment artists and the props. It's hard to create interesting props now because, you know, everybody's out there modeling from the same reference to some extent. 
Exactly. It, it's it's showing that you can take. I mean, if you could do your own kind of concept work, that's amazing. That's great. But if you work mm -hmm. from somebody else's, it's, you know, put an interesting spin on it or make it look it's completely different to what you know something that I haven't seen before. Yeah. Obviously, a polished result. You know, it still needs to be good, but you're going to stand out against somebody who makes you know the perfect polished historical piece. You as an artist will still stand out to me, and I'll be inclined to want to bring you in for an interview, just to even for a chat. Just yes. to see, you know, what your mindset is behind those pieces. That's great. So, what? Uh, How did you get started in this industry? So, I worked. I started almost ten years ago. Um, I worked for a company called Jagex in Cambridge. Uh, they make RuneScape, mm -hmm. uh, and I worked there for five years doing super low poly art. It was the workflow there is fairly different compared to what you might fi might find elsewhere totally. but it was yeah. it was super cool because you could get a character done in a day or two versus the uh you know four or five weeks you might spend working on a character when you've got to deal with sculpting and texturing and uvs and all of that okay all right and uh, what about I education as a, uh, yeah so i ironically i did a degree in um software engineering not in art um, so I did a programming kind of degree okay. and then decided after I finished university that I wasn't particularly keen on programming. Yeah. Uh, and so like a couple of friends showed me some art software, uh, like hooked me up with a copy of Max just to check out and I fell in love with it. It was just, it was more creative from my point of view and, and less kind of still technical, but to an extent I, it was more free flowing. And I realized after that, that I kind of wanted to do art more. Mm. That's interesting. So you took a pay cut. Uh, well, I didn't. I didn't start in a job doing software engineering. As soon as I finished university, I, I thought, "Yeah, this isn't for me." So I just took a change in direction. Yeah. So I what I did was I just well, I just worked in an office for two years and then just worked on developing myself as an artist until I was good enough to work in a in a company. That's great. Did you do a lot of self teaching? Yeah. Did you take online classes, mentorships? Uh, it was all. It was all pretty much self-taught, but obviously, yeah. I mean, this was 10 years ago, so there was a lot of, I think it was one of the online tutorials, I think it was the um, Joan of Arc one that was popping around many, many years ago, and that was the first one I started with. That's great. All right, and then just taught yourself and worked on things. What? Uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. So aside from interesting artwork, what is one of the, um, one of the other things that you look for in people's work? Um, if there's like one other feature that's important, so interesting work, another take so that you know there's actually a brain behind this and not just, you know, some mindless desire to work in games. Uh, yeah, technical, the technical elements. So the okay. low poly elements. So yeah. looking past the sculpt and looking at how well you do read topology, you know, how well you deal with edge loops, because all of that is super important. And then looking at your textures, looking at the way you UV and, and pack UVs, mm -hmm. um, all of those things definitely stand out. And especially when compared to someone who has poor UV skills or poor read topology skills, I think that there's been a bit of a trend where you sometimes see people just using um, Zed Remesher yeah. in ZBrush, quickly pull out a low poly mesh and it's like, no, don't do that. That's, that's not how it's done. <laughs> that's, yeah, put, in, put in the effort, put in the time and realize that that is half the job. Yeah. What, what are some of the triggers that tell you somebody has done that? You know, like how can you how can you sense it? Oh, I just look for the spiral edge loops. You'll, you'll see one. You'll see you look around down someone's arm, and it's like that ledge loop is spiraling. Or they don't put edge loops in where the fingers are going to deform, or where the knees are going to deform, and it's just mm. all evenly quadded all the way through. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I can see what you've done there. Uh huh. I know you. 
<laughs> uh, cool. Uh, can we take a look at some of your, if you don't mind, I want to take a look at the professional work first and then we'll work our way sure. back. Um, because I see you got personal, you've got some concept and you got visual development. But if we start at the professional, um, tell me about, uh, if you can, the, the creation yeah. of any one of these pieces, just, you know, what, what part of it you have? Um, is it a team? And uh, a little bit about just how this works for you on a daily basis. Okay, so I'll start. Well, this is the most recent one, so I'll take this one here. And so these, what these we'll do is beautiful, man. These are just awesome. So Debrush um, asset for one of the Tomb King. Okay. Units that we really. My favorite one. I, I want to work on this character. Um, it ended because my computer just couldn't handle one. Um, so what I'd do is I'd start off using a combination of ZBrush and 3D Max. I know yeah. a lot of people start to transition over to ZModeler in ZBrush, but I kind of still like using Mac as a um, as a place to start making my pages and making my hard surface elements. Um, so yeah, we start off using, um, most of us start off using either 3D Max or Maya. Uh, mm -hmm. I prefer Max, it's just what I've always used. Yeah. Um, and then start building base meshes in Max, just you know, hard surface uh, meshes and things that are kind of put together using edge loops to retain edges. Kind of the way you see a lot of sci-fi um, characters done, a lot of mech characters done. Yeah. Um, and we traditionally use that for our armor. Again, I know some people are transitioning over to Zed Modeler, but for me, Max is um, it's kind of what I'm rooted in. I quite like its system of building things. And then I'll take all of that into ZBrush and just kind of start detailing, start finding elements that I need to sculpt uh, if there are any. I think in this character, it's only really the face that I sculpted. Uh, or actually, the body, um, if I just scroll up. Yeah, so you can see. The, the mixture of sculpted and hard surface. Mm. And so then what are you, we do is just... Sorry to interrupt. Sorry, go ahead. Are you saying that the bulk of this is 3D modeling and then you take it into ZBrush to create the veining and the cracks and, and things like that? Yeah, for, for this guy specifically, for a lot of the others, it might be the other way around. So if you've got... Um, okay, yeah. This ZBrush took one of the proxy meshes that we'd have for, for the animators. So basically the animators need a proxy mesh, which they work from because they might start their animations before we start finishing a character off. Um, so I'll take that, throw it to ZBrush, start detailing, building it up. And then again, with the, the helmet and the kind of armor pieces, they were done in Max and um, used the GoZ functionality to move them over. Okay. Uh, but most of it was just in ZBrush. Like extractions and then H polish and things like that to get the, the planes. Yeah, to get the kind of edges, I usually use something like Trim Dynamic and H-Polish and then just a couple of, you know, not too many brushes. I, I don't want to have like a ridiculous amount of brushes that I use. It's kind of like just go in and try and keep it simple and make it look sculpturally. Yeah, yeah. And is that, um, one, one the, is that a focus? Sorry, like yeah. a, I, one, one of the things that's really important for me is finding the triggers that help people understand whether something is professional or amateur. And so, like you said earlier, you know, you, you look to make sure it's interesting so you know there's a brain behind it. Then you look at the technical side because you're trying to see, hey, are they serious enough um, on the tech? Because if they're not serious enough on the tech, you know, you know you're in trouble hiring somebody like that or working with somebody like that because then you, you or somebody else on the team has to do the tech. Um, exactly, yeah. And then so in this case, you're using the word sculptural. And um, yeah. 
so uh, how does that fit into your into your kind of pipeline so we still each characterized takes complete ownership over the character they work on so in this okay. case i started from start to finish mm -hmm. so getting to this stage uh, the screenshot that's on yeah. would have been about half of the job so that is the sculpting element where you're taking that into zebrush you're taking your hard surface elements from max and you're sculpting chips and cracks and damage into it yeah now that's when in the locals when you start looking at um, whatever texture and programs you use to kind of add all of that detail in. Yeah. And is this in substance, hand-painted, Photoshop? How do you do the texturing? Uh, so for the texturing, we use Quixel Suite. Oh. Um, because we work with a lot of contractors as well, it's just the easiest solution for us okay. at the minute anyway. What is it that you like about Quixel or that least, or it makes it easier? Um, for me, it's it's a Photoshop integration. I just I'm again a bit old school, so I like been jumping into Photoshop, being able to modify things very quickly. Yeah. Um, but our studio kind of uses both. Some teams use Quixel, other teams use Substance, so it's entirely dependent on the team. Okay, and then so within the team, everybody conforms, or is there some variety there too? Uh, we try to keep it conformed because it means that all of our source files and raw files are in the same format. Right. Uh, so if we need to make any changes, especially if we get work from a contractor, it's very easy to do. Okay, got it. And how long do you spend on a character like this? I think you said four weeks. This guy was about five just because of his size and the amount of variation. Yeah. Is, is a good bit of that back and forth iterations with the, uh, with the art directors and whatnot? We try and keep... We try and keep iterations to kind of like a minimum. I mean, my way of leading my team is to kind of let them get on with it and until they hit a point where they feel as though they need feedback. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is constantly be over their shoulder, giving them, you know, you know, prodding them and telling them to change this or change that. Because at some point, they, I want them to learn how to develop their design sense and their design skills, rather than just feeling as though they're part of a like a conveyor belt a production line. Yeah. Um, and them to actually learn how to be artists, just so they get better at their job overall. Uh, that makes sense. And so this is a good time to point out you're a lead character artist. Uh, yeah. And what does a lead character artist do? So there's like, um, is it the senior character artist? Um, there's a junior character artist. Now, lead character artist, how does that fit into the pipeline of art director and, and on down? Uh, so it's pretty much one before art director. It's one position before. But basically, um, I spend half of my time doing art mm -hmm. uh, and then the other half kind of managing, looking yeah scheduling looking at resources dealing with contractors dealing with documentation and kind of looking at you know proxy files and, and raw texture files and kind of getting getting the fundamentals together so that the team can kind of use those and start building from them yeah and has your background in coding do you think that's helped you in terms of the job um in terms of what we do uh it's by again it's been 10 years since i touched any of that stuff so it's all gone I completely yeah. forgot it all um, <laughs> but I think it helps as well that we're I'm friends with the lead technical artist as well so I work quite closely with her when possible to kind of deal with things like making sure that our workflow can be sped up or making sure that it, you know letting them write us decent tools and scripts to help speed up our workflow so it's, it's less of um, a technical understanding from me and more putting my trust in people who are more technically minded Got it. You can kind of speak the language a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, chat to people, be open with people, converse. 
uh, and just make sure that everyone knows what everyone else is doing and whatever you need help, you know, invest that time in and, and speak to people who can provide it. That's great. And about how many hours a day do you kind of put in on it, this job as a lead? You know, I know I get a general sense of things in terms of characters. I, I know in the game industry, it's just lots and lots. And there's always ramp up. But um, as a lead, you have you're responsible for management. You got a lot more on your plate. So I'm not so I'm not a fan of crunch. I'm not a fan of tons of overtime because mm -hmm. I like. I like to go home to develop my personal skills. I'd like my team to go home to develop their personal skills, yeah. uh, their personal art skills. And the last thing I want to see is people burn out. So when, wherever I can, I try and make sure that my team come in on time and leave on time. And if we hit a particularly difficult point, such as, you know, bug fixing before a big release date or something, yeah. then it's, you know, we do stay a bit longer because that sort of thing is unforeseen. Yeah. But when it comes to getting the work done, you know, putting your time, um, you know, try and put in 100% whilst you're in the environment and then go home and either rest or develop yourself further as an artist. The last thing I want to see is people burn out because I think it's, especially in the past, it's just been too commonly seen in, in the industry and it's not good for anybody. Yeah, it has that reputation now because of that, right? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think most companies are, a lot of companies are looking to kind of counter it and we could definitely do more overall. To make, I, I think as games jobs have been kind of accepted almost as a nine to five job over the years rather than you know people staying and sleeping in the office as, as mm -hmm. much as what they used to it's kind of ensuring that that acceptance is wide stream and making sure that everyone sees it as a normal everyday job which should have core hours and then you go home and you rest and recharge yeah 10 years ago when i was at, working at pixelogic you know there was burnout was very common crazy hours yeah you know even at the large companies like electronic arts and different places like that you know there was just reports um but i've been hearing more and more from my friends like because blizzard's right down the road you know it's you know, it's pretty regular you know it's work it's serious work but it's pretty regular hours yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think as long as people start to kind of convey that and it, it start you see an improvement and it gets better because again looking at it from a schedule point of view as well you know if, if you've got producers looking at your work um, and seeing kind of what speed you work at. If you're working too much overtime or you're working on weekends, you're essentially skewing that schedule. And you're saying, oh, well, you're working faster than you actually are, but that's you're not actually doing that. You're just staying late to get things done. Mm -hmm. So by ensuring that you work within those core hours, you keep a consistency with everybody else. That means that producers can do their job better because they have more accurate time-ups for tasks. That's great. So how do you... Um, get yourself inspired to work on your own work after long days and management, right? Because management's a different brain. <laughs> yeah, it's a I lot know that's things. my day job. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I did a lot of I I did a lot of three D at home over the years, and then uh, like in the last couple of years, I decided I kind of kind of wanted to transition over to two D. Mm -hmm. um, spend a bit more time doing two D because again, I did a lot of three D at work, yeah. and I thought, well. I kind of wouldn't mind trying to better my anatomy skills and, you know, drawing cloth and just looking at color theory. And I think it it, it was one of the core reasons I kind of went into characters because it, it wasn't necessarily the 3D art side. It was taking an idea in my head and bringing it to life in yeah. whatever form possible. And 2D, I think, helps me, you know, helps me do that faster. So I just give myself a new goal. So my goal now is to become really good at 2D, you know, wherever I can fit it in. So when I come home, I usually either switch the computer on and do more work or I'll get a sketch pad and, and draw some anatomy uh, and just try and 
keep myself motivated to keep going because it's it's something that I want to invest time in because it's something that I enjoy and want to see the improvement in and I think it's something that you know as an artist you kind of want to feel proud of as well yeah um and I don't think there's ever a stopping point there's always something new to learn yeah that's great I your love focus how... might change. Yeah. yeah go for it I mean your focus might change you might change you know paths you might decide to go from 2d to 3d 3d to technical art but I think there's always something that as, as, as artists as people within the industry we're here because we're inspired to learn it's not just about playing games or you know or working on games it's about mm-hmm. learning new techniques especially in the field of art so always pushing yourself above and beyond i think is very important yeah there's a great quote by um stephen pressfield he says that uh, uh warriors and artists play the same game of necessity and you know it's really important for us as artists to, like it's not it's not just about having fun it's like a big part of what we do in my opinion is is that struggle to get better and that struggle to just learn and do it's like if you're not doing that boredom sets in quick yes i'm very restless i i try and play video games every now and then and i have to force myself to fit in time to play games otherwise i just won't do it Mm -hmm. um but i can get to a point where i'm watching something on the tv or playing a game Especially over the Christmas break, when I'm not at home, I go to somebody else's house and I'm just like, oh, I'm bored now. I, I need to be drawing. I need to be doing some sculpting. I need to be doing anything that's yeah. work-related because my brain just, I can't sit still. Uh, yeah, totally. All right. So you switch your focus. I love that. You go into 2D because you're in 3D. And uh, you said yeah. also tech art and things of that nature. But um, what kind of standards do you hold yourself to? Like, how do you keep that game uh, a like a productive game instead of it just being a game where it's like, oh, I'm not good enough at drawing yet. You know, I need to get better. How do you deal with some of those inner voices and conflicts? Um, I think personally, I think the important thing, and usually that voice kind of comes when you start comparing yourself to other artists. Uh-huh. Like if you load up Facebook or Twitter and you've got, you follow other artists and you see their work and you you know, almost immediately think, oh God, well, they're better than me. Yeah. But I, I think you change your mindset to more of a inspirational one as opposed to a, as instead of a competing one. It's like, this is what I aspire to be and mm-hmm. I'll get there. And I, and I think that like when you hear people say, um, you know, you're competing against other people, I think that your main competition is you. And if you keep bettering yourself over and over, you'll get to a point where not only will you get really, good but because you're competing against your own style and you're learning from other people you'll develop a style of your own that really stands out yeah so um that makes sense to me i remember something richard mcdonald uh the sculptor um was saying about how uh when he was really trying to get himself better he kept his last five sculptures like in a row somewhere where he could see them chronologically so that he could see visibly the progress that he was making or not making yeah. So that he would know, you know, think, this is what I need to do to grow. And then, you know, because really the competition is you. Yeah. I mean, you, you're only competing against yourself. If, if you start competing against other people, you'll always, you know, you'll never be the best in the world. There's always going to be somebody better than you. But you can be better than what you were a week ago. And you can keep improving on that. And even if you might see, you know, you see weeks where your improvement has kind of stalled off a bit, there's still a chance to keep going. Um, and look at different ways of improving and you know different techniques and even you know take a bit of downtime and then come back to it yeah 
Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So move your mindset from comparative, try to be inspirational or aspirational, you know, like that's something that would really work for me. Um, But that's hard to do when you're a beginner and you're looking at, you know, how do I get a job? How do I make this happen? Like you're secure, you have your job, you get your paycheck. But in the beginning, but, when you were starting, yeah. you know, how, how? I think, it, yeah. See, in the beginning, I was more confident than I was later on. And <laughs> really? I think it's in, in the beginning, yeah, because you're playing with new tools and you're playing with new techniques. Yeah. And you are, at the, I think at the beginning, you're kind of at the peak of excitement. You, you, you know, when you pick up a copy of Max for the first time or soft, you know, ZBrush and you start playing with it and learning, right. you know, you're, you're learning exponentially faster then you might be later on. So you're taking in all this knowledge and it's it's very exciting. It's like, oh, I've learned this today and that today and this today. Whereas I suppose once you get a bit more experienced, you get more critical of yourself mm-hmm. because you start to, to develop that artist's eye. Yeah. And that criticism helps. But at the same time, I think your kind of ups and downs as an artist are kind of like fluctuate a lot more. In my experience anyway, they fluctuate a lot more kind of in the middle and later on in your career as opposed to earlier on when you really start to see those gains. Yeah. So I think early on is kind of, you know, if you look at a graph, there's been a couple of these that have been going around, you kind of see the most improvement and then it kind of tails off a bit and that can be the, the part where you're kind of like, oh, oh, am I really good or am I, you know, is the imposter syndrome kicking in? And it's like, no, I am good. What am I talking about? I got here because I'm that good. Yeah. Um, but starting off, I find, especially doing something new, it, it is intimidating. It's very exciting. But the only way you can really go is up. So I think it's just constantly being inspired by people around you and just keep focusing and putting the time in. And I guess as a beginner, um, I know I was quite guilty of this. You can you know getting feedback from people and you can sometimes look at it defensively and and once you change your mindset to no they're just trying to help you know take on as much feedback as you can learn over time how to you know distinguish between uh feedback that's objective and feedback that's subjective and you know you'll learn not just skills as, as an artist but also skills you know training your eye and learning how to deal with other people as well Okay, that makes sense to me. And uh, that might lead us right to this next topic of looking at your concepts and your sketches, because um, mm-hmm. this is one of the ways in which you kind of train yourself working on this 2D. Keep yourself moving. And and I get yeah, so as, as you're growing, you know, you're actually seeing more. And so it's easier for you to compare more because you can see where your gaps are better now, right? Yeah. You can see where I started with this picture. Mm-hmm. You can see I would do it again and again and again, taking on feedback, taking on bits of criticism from different people mm-hmm. and developing it into the one furthest to the right. And I think that's kind of helped me in 2D is, is doing something, posting it online, getting feedback, changing the proportions, changing the way it's built and the way it works, getting more feedback, reiterating it on the design again and again, and then keeping them just lined up next to each other so you can see where you've gone from A to kind of, you know, A to D in this case. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. Um, that, that's kind of my way of learning, well, trying to learn the 2D element rather than I don't want to just post a piece of work and then just never look at it again because I don't mm-hmm. feel as I'm learning anything from it. Yep. I feel as though doing it this way, I can see that progression. That's great. Actually, something like that would just happen to me the other day with my daughter um, because she, the teacher told us she's not reading fast enough. And uh, she's reading at like 30... 
uh, words a minute. They want to write 60 words a minute or and more accuracy. So we were like, oh, crap. And, uh, and then I realized uh, that the way we train her is we just sit her down with a book and she just does her own thing, right? And she reads it and then yeah. we throw the book uh, away and, and that's the end of the deal. She just, you know, it's a one-off and we go. So I sat with her last night and I timed her per page, you know, go yeah. through it, read it. And then she, she doubled her speed right away because she was focused on this as a test and all, and she just grinded on it and she got you know three times faster by the end of the night on that and it was just impressive and i started to think about like how we as as artists we tend to do this too we just kind of were on our own and so we do something and then next day we do something and then a month goes by and we're like i'm not growing but i'm doing stuff yeah i think you, it, yeah you don't necessarily see the growth because you're working, you could potentially be working on radically different pieces. Mm -hmm. And I guess, especially in 2D, if your style changes slightly as well, you know. Sorry. Oh, you okay with that? Okay. Weekend Warriors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, at some point, it's like, what, you know, how do you differentiate between style and improvement? So I think taking the same character and just doing it again, almost like exercise, you know, you, you spend every Wednesday, it could be leg day, and you do those same exercises to build up that muscle it's a similar kind of thing only in this case it's it's learning through rinsing repeating and, and iteration yeah that makes sense but not just repeating like you're up in the ante you know each time exactly yeah you know you yeah, don't exactly. want to lift yeah, the same amount you want to up the ante and get more in exactly and just taking on feedback i think that's that's definitely that's important and it's one of the biggest driving factors because at, at some point your you know your eyes are going to get tired and you you'll stop seeing where the flaws are and where the um, issues, where things can be changed. Yep. So having somebody else's critical eye look at it and then taking that feedback on board and reiterating, I think is great. That's great. And then is there, like let's say for example, you're working and, and you're going through this, is there some trigger that tells you it's time to stop or um, do you believe it's important to kind of push through the pain and keep drawing when you're feeling like it's not going well? How do you manage that? Um, I think, at some point you do need a break because at, at some point you're going to keep going and you're going to slow down mm -hmm. because you're not motivated or you, you know, your brain's somewhere else. And I think at that point, it's almost like meditation where you take 10 minutes, take half an hour away or whatever time you feel you need and yeah. then come back to it with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely important rather than trying to just drill away at something. And it's, again, this kind of ties into the whole crunch overtime thing. It's, you know, at the end of the day, go home rest come back and look at your task especially if you've got a difficult task that you might come back the next day with with fresh eyes on yeah that makes sense have you ever had to tell one of your artists like go get a cup of coffee um take yeah, a break I'm, I'm sure i have you see people get stressed because either the software breaks which does happen sometimes or you know they're having they might be struggling with something but i think all the artists on my team are quite determined and strong-willed anyway so they tend to plow through it but they're, they're a good bunch so you know, I, I try not to be too critical of them. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's one of the most important things I learned was how in essential it is to take breaks. And uh, and I think someone is telling me there's a Pompadouro technique. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but it, I, I discovered it through a different name. And it's just every 45 minutes, get up. Yeah, I think you need to do that anyway, just to stop your legs from going numb, especially in front of a computer. <laughs> yeah. Or Fortunately, uh, we have standing desks. Yeah, sorry about that noise. We have, That's okay. Uh, yeah, 
we'll just, we'll just let our hot rod go on about his business. Sorry, I, I forget what time it is over there. It's like half past nine here in the evening. Uh, yeah, no, it's one one uh, thirty, so lunchtime. Okay. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, what about anatomy? What got you focused on anatomy? Um, I think yeah. Well, again, being a character artist, it, I started off as um, I should have mentioned when I started off working in the industry, I started off as an environment artist and then moved into characters. Mm -hmm. um, the reason being is because whilst I enjoy doing environments um, with characters, I can kind of see the progression in, in kind of a small focused area rather than over a big sprawling scene. Mm -hmm. So I decided so, to change my focus and move into character art, which is why I kind of got here but a yeah. lot of that came down to studying anatomy wherever i can and find not just studying it but finding a way to study anatomy that exactly. works yeah that kind of helps knowledge in mm -hmm. so looking at some of like the techniques that scott eaton would provide or mm -hmm. that stan propachenko would provide is kind mm -hmm. of looking at those elements and bringing those in yeah. that's great and so that's what i wanted you to talk about for a second is how to learn anatomy because i've spent a lot of time uh, learning it and um, yeah, one of the uh, you know key things that I've learned through is that a, a big part of this process is just developing strategies to help you, you know, and then not getting locked onto details. Like you know, at the end of the day, there's plenty of sculptors I know that sculpt you know just beautifully, but if you were to ask them like, where's the um, uh, let's say where's the brachioradialis, they'll have long yeah. thought. You know, it's totally yeah. unimportant to them anymore. They they can see it in their mind, but you know, the the name is irrelevant uh, to them. You know, so they're not stuck on those details. So, like, if we were to take yeah. a look at like one of your pieces, like the face, you know, for example, like what did you do there, and what was important to you in learning the face um, and really uh, locking in facial anatomy? Because I see a lot of notes and structure, things of that nature. I'll be honest with you. I think um, what I was saying was is that I still forget a lot of this. Yeah. Um, it's not something that you can do once, twice, three times, and it gets stuck in. Mm -hmm. It's things that you do iteratively over time, and then one or two bones might stick with you, and then three or four bones might stick with you, and mm -hmm. then you know, the muscles will start to stick with you, and, and you kind of build upon it. So I think when you're learning anatomy, I think the important thing is to not think that you can just – do a couple of equal shade drawings and then you know everything. It's it's about doing a couple and recognizing the forms faster the next time. Mm -hmm. So again, it's an iterative process of I've done this head study. So the next time I might still forget the names of the muscles, but I'll recognize the forms faster. And if I see them, mm -hmm. I'll understand. It's kind of like picking it up. I'll understand where they're coming from and what they do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think what's important is that you're, not remembering the names because it's not about remembering yeah. the names. Um, so what I've started to do, and it, it's something that one of my um, friends who used to work at CA um, started to do as well, mm -hmm. is blocking out the forms, kind of Bridgman-esque style, um, and just actually just analyzing the forms and the silhouettes. So taking a photograph of an arm at one pose and then rotating around you know, mentally and trying to draw it from another pose using primitives. And I find that's kind of helping develop my sense of 3D, mm -hmm. transitioning it into 2D. Yep. So, yeah, it's another technique that we're kind of taking on and trying to see if that works. Got it. That's great. But I do, yeah, do try quite a few different ones. I think it's always worth experimenting as well uh, and just seeing what clicks for you. Because, you know, for some people, I, th I think the kind of over 
the overall theme is don't just copy what you're doing. Don't just copy what you see because you're not really taking it in. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, maybe draw it, analyze it, put it to one side and then try and draw it from memory. Yeah. So you're really training that side of your brain to, to take in some of that, you know, taking some of those visual elements, taking some of those silhouette um, changes and shape language. Yeah, I understand. You know, but one of the things that uh, I find kind of really fascinating about this is a lot of times when people study anatomy, they lock in and, you know, it gets tight. But if I'm looking at your concepts and the sketching that you're doing, you know, yeah, you're studying and you're, you're doing your like exercises, you know, like you're over there, you're lifting yep. weights. Um, but you come in here and you're playing with, you know, all kinds of designs. Yes, yes. So uh, I have fun with it. I, I don't want to just do anatomy all the time. I want to play with anatomy, play with designs, play with style, mm -hmm. and just kind of find something that I click with. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a big renderer. I don't particularly like going in and, and doing a ton of rendering, but mm -hmm. I, I want to take those forms and, and use simplified rendering to kind of define them so people understand what they are. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see where it takes me. It's, it, for me, it's kind of a you know, it's a very new path as well. So I'm kind of excited to be on it and just learn as much as I can. Did you have to master anatomy before you got your job as a character artist, or to get some level of? Um, again, I don't think anyone ever masters it. Mm -hmm. I think you get to a level um, where you're competent competent enough to take it to an industry setting, and then you keep developing it. I right. think as and you, you constantly train yourself up to keep learning new things, especially in a work environment with other people who, you know, might be trained in different elements of anatomy or understand different elements. Mm -hmm. You just take in their knowledge and you share your knowledge, and it just becomes a big knowledge share where you develop yourself even further. Okay, what is an acceptable industry level? How how do how do we know that? Um, I guess it if you're looking at character art, um. I don't think you can really put a number on it. it. It's it's one of those where you you look at a portfolio, and, and again, it depends on what level you come in at as well in the industry. So if we hire an intern mm -hmm. um, and they come on to say the Warhammer project, they'll mm -hmm. start off modeling weapons and armor for characters. Yeah. And then we see them develop, and we also see them develop personally because a lot of our uh, guys and girls work at home mm -hmm. um, and then once they have, you know show their work on Facebook or show their work to us we kind of try and level them up a little bit and get them to do more in, you know more advanced work and test themselves so we had a couple of interns you know that came in a couple of years ago yeah and uh, both of them leveled up exponentially just by trusting them with more work because I think we kind of had the time to do so mm -hmm. so it's like okay we'll, we'll give you a horse to sculpt or we'll give you a human to sculpt and then just constantly giving them feedback and you know that, that eight hours a day of just learning anatomy and, and learning horse anatomy um, kind of helped got it okay obviously, obviously once you apply for a more senior position then we look for someone who is very competent with anatomy. Again, not perfect, just very competent because I think everyone kind of you know makes mistakes. Is there one or two or three things that really show you somebody still at the amateur level? Like, for example, with anatomy, one of the things that tells me um, where people are is elbows. Yeah. If they haven't sculpted just, the elbows and if that's all crap and they don't have the epicondyles, you know, I don't care how good yeah. their torso is. I know what I know what's going on. Yeah, um, I'm not. It's a hard one. I guess it's the face because for for our game, the focal point is the face of the characters. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, they're hidden. You know, the, the bodies can be hidden under armor. Yeah. Um, so if they sculpt a good face, 
and they understand the way the face works and you know all the subtleties then i feel as though i could help you know develop them further but if if it's the one place that they neglect then everything just falls apart like there's there's right. no amount of work you can do on the rest of the character to take away from that yeah. um i think it's 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 kind of yeah trying to make sure that everything has a consistent look and if that's you know competent anatomy then it should just all be consistently comp competent um it is a tough question to answer because of the nature of our game yep um it's not just human anatomy it's horse anatomy or you've got to make a dragon or you've got to make an orc so it's a lot of varied anatomy that we try and challenge people on it's, there's some weird creatures that come out of it got it yeah and that, that makes sense that's actually one of the things um marcin kaliki who's at cd project red he teaches at the boot camp and yeah. um that's one of the, that's what he started this boot camp out with was is if you don't know the face you know you got to start here because this is the thing that's going to inform everything else. All the sculpting challenges you have are in the face. Yeah. I th again, uh, and kind of step away from the details and look at the form. Mm -hmm. um, again, what I try to do with these illustrations is look at the actual form that you see on the surface and, you know, don't send me a sculpt with a ton of skin details and, you know, cuts and, and pores. It's like, look at the actual form and the rest is just detail after that. Yeah, that you makes sense. You can't tell the form that the detail makes no, you know, the detail's not going to improve at all. Yeah. So would you say muzzle of the mouth versus lips? Like lips are a detail at the end of the day, perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean, going even smaller than that, like mm -hmm. looking at the, you know, looking at the shape of the fingers as opposed to looking at the wrinkles on the knuckles, mm -hmm. for example, or the, or the wrinkles on your finger joints. It's like going into that sort of detail, you you just start spamming it on and, and you might make it look nice, but if the rest of the finger looks incorrect, it makes no difference. Yeah. And I think that's the second time you've mentioned hands. So that was the other thing that kind of, um, that interests me. Uh, Cause I'm always looking for like, what is the one thing that students can do that if they do it, somebody like you is going to say, Oh damn, you know, like this person. Uh, Hans, Hans is a good one. Yeah. Hans is a good one. And especially if you go for a job at a company that makes first person shooters, uh -huh. I think Hans is definitely important. Yeah. Um, but for us, yeah, it's more the, the overall form. And, and I personally look at interesting fantasy art portfolios mm -hmm. because, it, again, it is a lot of fantasy art. So I'll look at people who do something different. Um, I don't need to see like another orc. I want to see, you know, a, maybe an interesting spin on that orc. Um, but if I see potential, I think, it, it, especially with a junior or an associate, if I see mm -hmm. a good potential to learn, um and you know you, you follow them on facebook or twitter and you see them posting work all the time i'll usually want to interview them because uh you can see that they are start you know they're starting off on their growth and they're going to get somewhere you know really high versus someone who is middling and kind of stays middling and doesn't mm -hmm. really develop after that point yeah it's like someone who might be at a low level than them but is showing you know so much potential in the long run versus someone who just stays kind of like flatlined in the middle yeah. it's always going to be the person with the most potential that's going to you know get in there got it all right so now um we're we're right there up at the time so i know it's it's getting late there for you so i think i'll have like a, i'll open this up for uh questions and then i've got one question for you there's a tech question i think by jan um jan is asking uh do you use turbo smooth together with edge loops to control the mesh Oh, for hard surface elements. Um, 
Usually in Macs, I use the smoothing groups, and mm -hmm. you can change smoothing groups on different faces, mm -hmm. and it minimizes the amount that you rely on edge loops. So if you use um, smoothing groups on different faces and then turn on two turbo smooths to retain smoothing groups, um, it does help quite a lot. And then you can reduce the amount of work that you need to do, add in control loops to retain those really sharp edges. Right. Okay, got it. And how much... Because this is one of the questions we have to deal with in environment arts. Um, mo mostly, what I see nowadays is a high polygon or a high res sculpt first approach, and then optimization. Yeah. Because I'm yep. assuming you know people want to know you can go the mile before they figure out how to get you there faster, right? Make yep. sure you have the endurance and the skill to do something that looks awesome. So, um, but then we have this trade-off, and it's this trade-off of what. Jan is asking about, you know, how do we do this efficiently and with this game um, mentality? Because game is, you know, there's a craft to that. So how important is optimizing things like that and using it in this way of like using smoothing groups? How important is that in your consideration to bring somebody on and say an intern versus if they just throw a bunch of edge loops in there to control it? Um, so for high poly stuff, it's fine because because high poly assets never go into the game. High poly assets are going to be baked onto a low poly asset. Uh, so most of the edge loop should come on the low poly. Um, so when it comes to your high poly, you've just got to follow you know certain rules to make sure that it bakes down correctly. For example, not having your edges at you know perfect ninety degree sharp angle because nothing in real life is really you know that perfectly angle. Mm -hmm. angled everything has a kind of curve to it yeah. so when it comes to your high poly i'm not too concerned with how you build that it's entirely yeah. up to you as long as it bakes down nicely to a low poly and you get that transition that's the most important part yeah and in the low poly are you beveling edges or do you try to do that in trim sheets or keep it as low as possible um so poly count wise it depends entirely on the asset we normally set the artist a limit and then see whether they can work within it and yeah. there might be a bit of back and forth if they need to go above but for the most part we generally hit the nail on the head um but uh, the low poly is just it, the main thing is edge loops so making sure that you build your reta poly you know your low poly in such a way that it can deform properly around say the arms or the shoulders or mm -hmm. the legs mm -hmm. that's that's the key part for me um when you're looking at edges, you, I mean, we don't really add control loops in your low poly. You normally yeah. just change a smoothing group, yeah. which will give you nice shading. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the important, the most important thing for retopology is being efficient and looking at ways that your low poly is going to deform. Those are the most important things for me to look at anyway. Okay, cool. And what's the polygon count you're working with for, let's say, um, not a hero character, but like, you know, mid-level character? Uh, it depends so much. Let's mm -hmm. say uh, if you look on this page and you look at the rat, the fourth picture from the right, yeah. I think each of those is about 10, 11,000 triangles. Okay. Um, and then the big guy on the left, uh, the golden necrosphinx, mm -hmm. he was about 45. And triangles, uh, if you want quads like you'd see in zebras, you just double it. So 20,000 quads, right? No. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in games, you um, in less. games you talk about triangles. Uh, sorry, yes, the other, it's the other way around. Yeah. But but when you refer to game meshes, you normally say triangles because that's it, when it when it goes into a game engine, everything gets converted into triangles, even mm -hmm. if you model it as quads. Yeah. Quads are just a way for uh, riggers and skinners to kind of easily select edge loops so they can skin their characters uh, very easily. 
but for the purpose of the game, yeah, it, everything gets converted to tries. So refer to them as tries. Yeah, awesome. All right. Uh, okay, there's a couple more questions. Let's see. Um, you, Corinne is saying the female on your personal work you used several maps. How do you? How many maps do you expect an entry level applicant to use on a standard human? Um, and she's um, talking about UV um, islands. She says. It, again, um, it depends. I would say on Robin, uh, I'm guessing she's talking about Robin. Um, yeah, I did use several. Um, I use subsurface scattering. I use quite, you know, quite a few techniques. It's entirely up to you. Um, I'm not too fussed how, how many maps you use. If you can use one, you can use two, you can use four. But if you don't efficiently pack your UVs within those maps, then I'll notice. There you go. Yeah, that's great. That is so perfect. Thank you. Because the key thing for us is what moves the needle. So who cares how many islands you got, all of that stuff. Just have you done it efficiently? Have exactly. you packed it well? Exactly. It's like, how efficient can you be? And, and even looking at your characters, if you, if you have a, um, a body and a head that, that don't have much detail on them, but you've mm -hmm. used a 4K resolution map, I'd look at that and go, well, you could have done that in a 1K or a 2K. So that part of optimization matters. So look at what you're making and learn how to make decisions based upon you know, how much detail is going into that asset. Yep, got it. And then what about posing? Is that something that... Um... You know, you do an exceptional exceptional job at. So, is that something that you expect people to kind of do? Yes, it definitely helps um, for personal work, especially. Take the time to pose it. Um, if I'm posing one of my characters, I'll quickly build a skeleton in Max mm -hmm. uh, using its bone tools. Yeah. Skin it up. It's very loose. It doesn't have to be clean. Uh, get it into a good pose, and then I'll take that low poly asset to ZBrush and yeah. just move and just clean it up a little bit and move some of those verts around so it emulates what you'd see in game. Perfect. All right, Baj, my friend, thank you so much uh, for taking the time, sharing your wisdom, and uh, all of that. And so, uh, just in summary, you guys have heard a lot. Uh, the key things, and this is really, I'm, I wanted to say this instead of asking um, Baj this. The key thing that I want everybody to remember is look for the language that Baj uses. So he said a little bit more sculptural, you know, he's interested in the efficiencies. Look for the way that he talks, how what's really important for him is making sure things are interesting, but then at the same time, you know, make sure that you can handle, you know, he wants to have some sense that you can handle the technical capacity. Start to read between the lines when you're hearing people um, get interviewed. Read between the lines to see what's really important to them. Because most likely, if Baj is like the other people I've met, you know, when you're hot, you can hire an artist who looks, they are great work and it's just amazing. But then you get them in house and they're, you know, you see they hacked it all together. Then their workflow is a little bit laborious. They're not very efficient. And that's a big drag, you know, on a team if you're not careful. So you got to look for what are, the, what are the ways in which he's phrasing things and see if you can understand what's important to him. And then that's what you do is you, you make sure that you're hitting all of those targets in your guys' work. So last thing for you, Bosh, what um, do you recommend that um, people do or, or, um, or how they, uh, what they focus on if they're interested in an internship at a company uh, like Creative Assembly or uh, with an artist like yourself? Like what's something that really makes a difference to you outside of being uh, interesting work and making sure they have a technical, uh, something technical about the work, like maybe a rig in there or something? 
What else helps? Um, internet presence definitely helps. And it's got more and more common, you know, as you see groups mm. on Facebook, you mm. know, you look up of poly count and twitter yeah. having that kind of presence will get you will definitely get you noticed because even if you do amazing work if i don't see it i might not recognize realize that you're out there yeah um but definitely like whatever company you're applying for try and look at what they do and find ways not necessarily to emulate it but to in your mind try and improve on it and it, again, as an intern, it's it's going to be difficult for you to do because you're just starting out. But having that kind of goal, you know, firmly set, I want to work for this company. So, you know, I'm going to take their approach and see what I can do to make it stand out above everyone else's, I think is a good mindset to go in with. Yeah, that's great. And do you like it when people have a portfolio that's like tailored for your company? Like We know you do this project, so we're going to do an interesting take on that project. Um, because of how long it takes to do character work, and I can understand that, you know, when you're looking for a job, as, especially as an internship, you might be applying in several places. Mm -hmm. I'd say look at your portfolio and, you know, do three or four standout pieces, but diversify them. So bipedal human piece, definitely. Uh, whether it's fantasy or sci-fi, you know, do both. Do one that has a, a lot of elements on cloth and another that has elements of hard surface. Mm -hmm. At least that way, I know that you can handle both of those things, even if then, you know, they might not contextually be completely relevant to what we do. Yeah. Uh, because I also understand that from your point of view, you've got a finite amount of time to kind of do this work. You might have a another job that you're working at, you know, working at a coffee shop whilst you're trying to work on your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And characters take a long time. So don't necessarily tailor what you're doing to the company. Just take four pieces of work that maybe, you know, use current generation tech, especially if you work, you know, want to work for a company like us or for a company that makes, you know, PS4 or current current gen console games uh, and try and build something that mixes all those different techniques in. So hard surface, cloth, uh, hair, anatomy, um, and does it in an interesting way. Cool. All right, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. It's great to talk to you. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. It really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.